Absalom was patient. It's been two years. Think about what's happened in two years. He's just stewing inside, planning, waiting, seeing maybe what his dad is going to do. And when Absalom sees, you know, Dad, you, you, you've done nothing for two years. He's probably not going to do anything. And now he's thinking to himself, I'm going to get my revenge. I'm going to get my revenge. And we'll see here shortly that he does. He's patient. He's cunning. He's waiting for the right moment. He's an opportunist. You place the stars in the sky and you know them by name. You are amazing, God. All powerful, untamable, all struck with fall to our knees as we humbly proclaim. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. It was sheep shearing festival time, and it was natural that Absalom had a great feast and invited Amnon and all the king's sons. Absalom showed some of the same cunning activity we saw earlier in Amnon. He asked David to allow Amnon and all the king's sons to come to the feast. This made David partly responsible for their meeting, just as Amnon got David to allow Tamar to visit him with food. And so it was that because Absalom saw no action against Amnon by his father for two years, he now would get revenge himself. Now let's join Pastor Rob's teaching already in progress. And even though this chapter is really concerning Amnon and Tamar and Absalom, we have to remember the prophecy that God had given to Nathan, David's prophet, to give to David. And let me read it to you. It's just... Uh, a page probably uh, to your left. It's in chapter 12, beginning in verse 7. Notice what God told Nathan to tell David. This is what God was saying to, to David. He says, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's wives and your master's wives into your keeping, and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have also given you much more. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the people of Amnon. And notice, now therefore, here's the consequence of the sin. The Bible says that there is always a consequence. For the wages of sin is what? It's death. The wages of sin is death. Maybe not a physical death, sometimes it is but a death to relationships, a death to a marriage, a death to a friendship, a death of guilt inside that you can't even live with yourself anymore because you've done something. Notice, here's the consequence. Now, therefore, God says to David, the sword will never depart from your house because you have despised me and you've taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all of Israel. 
before the Son. And so there's the prophecy that God gives. And the painful thing that we're going to see as we begin here in the 22nd, 23rd verse of chapter 13 onward for several chapters is we're going to be seeing that prophecy being meted out. It's going to be carried out by God, and he's going to see fit that David, although forgiven, he's forgiven and he knows it, but there's consequences, and boy, are they painful. Are you going through consequences because of something you've done in your past? Are you currently going through something, a consequence from something in your past? God may forgive you, and he can, and hopefully he has. But he doesn't allow us to just skate by and act like nothing ever happened. And there's something about that that I think is really important because the pain that we go through as a result of sin, as a result of bad choices, there's a reaping of that. And doesn't that teach us? Isn't that the chastening hand of the Lord? Nobody likes to talk about that, but God does. He chastens those whom he loves. And why does he do it? Just because he's a mean God? No, because I don't know about you, but I don't learn when I'm going through, when everything is just fine. I, I don't learn when things are going fine and there's no consequences. I learn, I respond really well to pain. Maybe you're different than me. Sometimes I respond and I'm obedient to God and I don't experience pain because I'm obedient to him. And other times, I, I, for some silly reason, I have to go through the school of hard knocks. Hard knocks university. HKU. I go through the hard knocks because I don't listen. So we're going to see that. And one thing I think you will see too is I I would encourage you to read these chapters. We're going to be cruising along here, especially when we get into chapter 14. But I want you to think as you read this, as we read this together and go through this, and as you read it privately, put yourself into the shoes of these different characters and really think about the dynamic of the family. Think about the position that Amnon was in. Think about the position that Tamar was in. Picture in your mind these things. Put them in their proper understanding of where they are in the family and who's the firstborn, who's not, who's a half-brother. And pretty soon you realize, oh my goodness, the depth of, of, of this event is so rich. And I don't mean rich in the sense of good, but I mean rich in the sense of complicated It's a very complicated thing. Put yourself, read it thinking of yourself as David after having sinned and murdered and then having to see your son do this and then doing nothing about it. Put yourself in the the sandals of Tamar, the young girl who's hoping to marry well and then she's abused by her older brother, her half-brother. And now she's barren and for the rest of her life, the Bible tells us. She's living with Absalom. And she's shamed. How does that, how, can you imagine putting yourself in her position? And think of Absalom. Amnon was the heir to the throne. He was the heir apparent. And now Absalom, the third from the throne, now he's got a really good motive. Because David did nothing, he's got a really great motive now to put his older brother to death 
And not only would it avenge her rape, but it would also put him on the throne should David pass away. You see the motive? He's got great motive now. And he uses it, but he's patient. He's a good politician. He's a very smart man, a very cunning man, an opportunist. So let's look at verse 23. So after all of this, after David did nothing but was angry and And Absalom spoke to his brother Amnon, neither good nor bad. Now it finally says, and it came to pass after two full years, two years, remember that, that Absalom had sheep shearers in Baal Hazor, which is near Ephraim. And so Absalom invited all the king's sons. Again, Absalom was patient. It's been two years. Think about what's happened in two years. He's just stewing inside, planning, waiting seeing maybe what his dad is going to do. And when Absalom sees, you know, dad, you've done nothing for two years. He's probably not going to do anything. And now he's thinking to himself, I'm going to get my revenge. I'm going to get my revenge. And we'll see here shortly that he does. He's patient. He's cunning. He's waiting for the right moment. He's an opportunist. And Baal Hadesor, this location, is about four and a half miles northeast of Bethel, or about seven miles north of Jerusalem. Now David's kingdom's in Jerusalem, so now he's Absalom is, is going to have this sheep-shearing event, this feast, about seven miles north of Jerusalem. Quite a bit of ways when you're walking. And he invites David. And then Absalom, verse 24, came to the king and he said, Kindly note, your servant has sheep-shearers. Please let the king and his servants go with your servant. Notice the, that Absalom invited King David as well. And I think this is very interesting because perhaps Absalom invited the king along with the king's servants, hoping to hide his true motive, knowing very well that David would more than likely not be able to go. But he says, why don't you come, Dad? You're the king. Why don't you come and enjoy this feast? And Absalom in his heart probably knew his dad was preoccupied with other things. And, and, and of course, David says, no, my son, you, you go. And then Absalom said, if not, if you don't go, please let my brother Amnon go with us. And at this moment, I can't help but wonder if there is a check in David's heart. It's been two years. You wanted me to go with you with your brothers, but now you're asking me just to have Amnon go in my stead? True, he is my firstborn son, but he's also the firstborn son who raped your sister and nothing has happened. I wonder if the wheels started to spin and David just had this little check in his heart. But do you understand, had Absalom not invited David as well, David might have been justified in his suspicion. But to lower that suspicion, he invites his father as well. And finally, David says, nope, I'm not going to go. So verse 27, but Absalom urged him. And so ultimately, David let Amnon and all the king's sons go with him. And again, another check. And again, remember, Absalom had two motives in getting Amnon to this sheep-shearing event seven miles away from the king's palace. Number one, because of the rape. And number two, it would put him on the throne should he exact vengeance upon his older brother. So instead of letting just Amnon go, David had all the sons go. And perhaps David did this to make Absalom accountable. 
Because if all of David's sons are there, Amnon's not, or Absalom's not going to be able to get away with much, or at least David might think this. And so verse 28, it says, Now Absalom had commanded his servants, saying, Watch now, when Amnon's heart is merry with wine, and when I say to you, strike Amnon, then kill him, do not be afraid, have not I commanded you, be courageous and valiant. This seems a little odd to us, but you have to understand that the king's son, the firstborn son, had servants, and it's not uncommon for servants of a king or even a king's son to just do what they're told, because ultimately... It's not their problem. It's going to come back on Absalom. They're just being obedient, carrying out what he, what he said for them to do. And that's just the way it was. They didn't ask questions. They'd make great military men because, you know, if a, if a general in the army says, I want you to plow through that wall and kill the enemy on the other side, they're not going to ask questions. They have orders. They're just going to do it. They're not going to say, but who is the enemy? And what does he look like? Just trust me. Break through the wall and kill who's on the other side. That, that's your objective today. That's all you got to do. And a good soldier will do what he's told, and he won't ask a lot of questions. And so were some of these servants. And so because David did nothing for two years, Absalom plans to kill his brother out of vengeance, and thus perhaps hopes that he will be seen as justified and then making himself, and maybe even securing the throne for himself, because public opinion is watching Public opinion is growing. Wow, he's a very handsome man. We're going to find that Absalom was a very handsome man. He had the golden, I mean, he's probably blonde. I mean, he probably had these long flowing, he, when I hear the description of him later on, he sounds like that guy Fabio. Does anybody remember that? Just this guy with the flowing locks, and he's just like a peacock, you know. He's just flamboyant and believes that he's, you know, just narcissist, you know. But he was, he was a handsome fellow. By Absalom exacting punishment instead of his father David, perhaps David would feel that perhaps his son now did deserve the throne. Again, think of how David is feeling. He knows he should have done something, but he did nothing. And now his oldest or his third eldest son now is going to take the life of his firstborn son. And maybe David's thinking, you know what? I should have done, I, I should have done something. I should have let due process go through, you know, to happen so that there would be some punishment. Whether he was, his life was spared or whether we had to put him in jail for a season or put him under some kind of, you know, house arrest, something, but nothing. David did nothing. And perhaps David... Perhaps this might have made David feel even worse because he did nothing concerning Amnon. And certainly guilty that he didn't do anything concerning Amnon's punishment. He did nothing. And dads and moms, can I exhort you tonight to be careful about how you deal with your sons and your daughters you're doing them a favor by holding them to a, a tighter standard. But what I see in our country today, even in the church, is that there's so much lax that our kids, they, they grow up and they've got all these, all the much, much room, much room to just fall into areas of sin. And if we're really, if we're really a good parent, we need to tighten the reins. We need to be aware of what they're listening to what they're watching. Are you in tune with that? Are, do you even care? 
I've seen kids in the church as young as, you know, eight, nine years old walking around with an iPhone. And I see this in society. Wide open. The Internet's wide open for them. There are controls. I mean, there are things that a good parent ought to do. But doesn't sin, doesn't it tie us up in knots and it makes it harder and harder to do the right thing to get out of the mess that you're in? Because once we sin, sin begets sin. And if we don't confess it immediately, we have to make up a story or we have to do something to cover that up. And it's not long before that becomes known. Then we got to do something else. And do you see, you're just all you're doing is just taking the shovel. You might as well just walk around with a shovel because you're just digging yourself even deeper, digging yourself even deeper, and you're getting lower in the pit. Pretty soon, it's just going to cover you. And the devil loves to do that. It's better to confess it immediately and take the shame. Whatever you've got to do, confess it and make things right and turn away from that thing, whatever it is. Had this happened in the very beginning, this whole event would have been so different. But see, God knows the end from the beginning. Doesn't the Bible say that he's Alpha, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ending? Doesn't Psalm 139 tell us that God knows our thoughts before we think? Doesn't it say in that same psalm that he knows what we're going to speak before we even speak it? Doesn't it say that before we were in the phone, before we were formed in the womb, God knew us? Didn't he tell Jeremiah that? See, God knows all things. He doesn't intervene in the sense to make you do anything. He just... He allows us that free will. But God help us with that free will. May we follow him in righteousness and be willing to confess things and to do the right things and not let the sin continue to wrap us up in a knot to where we can't even breathe anymore. It's like a boa constrictor. Have you ever seen a boa constrictor take a... I've seen a boa constrictor um, go after an alligator in the Everglades, and you know what it does? Yes, a boa con- or, a, or a python. It'll wrap itself, it'll, there'll, there'll be a battle, and then the thing will wrap itself around the, the alligator, and the alligator will take a breath, and then as soon as the air goes out in the lungs, the, the, the python will constrict it. Now he can't breathe. And he'll continue doing that and doing that until the thing suffocates. And that's what sin does to us. It suffocates us. Aren't you glad you came tonight? Isn't this wonderful? I know it is hard. But here it is in front of us. So verse 29, So the servants of Absalom, they did to Amnon as Absalom had commanded. And then all the king's son arose, and each one of them got on his mule and fled. Now remember, these other sons of David, they were younger. They perhaps thought that they might be, maybe they thought they would be next. I mean, here's the oldest, uh, Absalom. He's the heir apparent now, now that, now that he's killed the firstborn. Is he going to kill us? And they're, maybe they're thinking to themselves, we better get out of here because we don't want to be complicit in this plot that Absalom had hatched against Amnon. I want to get out of here, wouldn't you? I don't want to have anything to do with this. Have you ever been in a situation like that where somebody does something and you're like, man, I've got to get out of here because I don't even want to be, I don't even want to be in the same crowd when the news class comes with the big cameras and they start asking questions. I just want to slide underneath the corner somewhere. What's that? Yes, Newsboys wrote a song about that, right? Guilty by association. I want to be guilty because I know him, because I know Christ. If I'm guilty because of that, hallelujah. Take me to jail. (laughs) Maybe one day I will be. 
Canada's not too far away and it's happening to them. How long will it be before they're haul me away because I, you know, share uh, difficult things, especially concerning um, homosexuality and, and other things? The Bible has a multitude of things it talks about. Homosexuality is not just the one. We talk about heterosexual fornication and how wrong that is too, but nobody wants to haul you away for that, right? Anyway, I digress. So, it came to pass, verse 30, while they were on their way, the king's sons, they, they flee, they get out of there, and news came to David saying, Absalom has killed all the king's sons. Wow, sounds like our mainstream media taking one event and just blowing it way out of proportion, full of lies. All the king's sons have dead, and not one of them is left. And at this point, based on what God had told David, that prophecy that the sword would never depart from your house, He's probably thinking to himself, this is it. He hears the news and he's already absorbing it. He's already saying, okay, this is what God said. He's, he's doing it and it's just going to crush me again. I lost my firstborn son from Bathsheba because of my sin. Now I'm going to lose all my sons because of my sin. And I bet David was just going, oh God, I am guilty of all this. You have the right to take whatever you want. Take my life. I think at that point, David was just laying prostrate on the ground and just saying, Lord, do with me whatever you want to do. Crush me if you want to crush me. So the king arose, notice verse 31, and he tore his garments and he lay on the ground again, laying prostrate on the ground, just totally blown away, totally at the end of himself. And all of his servants stood by with their clothes torn. And remember the prophecy that God had spoken to him. The sword shall never depart from your house. So David is assuming. And then Jonadab, notice, remember, Jonadab was Amnon's cousin, or this is David's nephew. He comes, remember this young man who gave Amnon that evil, twisted plot to rape his you know, for Amnon to rape his sister. Jonadab, the son of Shimea, or Shammah is his name, David's brother, answered and said, Let not my lord suppose they have killed all the young men, the king's sons, for only Amnon is dead. For by the command of Absalom, this has been determined from the day that he forced his sister Tamar. What a turncoat this man is. He gives the plot to Amnon, and now he's just ingratiating himself to the king. Let me tell you what really happened. Only Amnon is, uh, is dead. The rest of them, and David's probably going, oh, that's such good news. I'm glad that all my sons aren't dead. And this turncoat, Jonadab, slippery individual, an opportunist, again. There's a lot of those in the Bible. Now therefore, verse 33, let not my lord the king take this thing to his heart to think that all the king's sons are dead, for only Amnon is dead. And notice in verse 34, then Absalom, he fled, and the young man who was weeping, or keeping watch, excuse me, lifted his eyes and looked, and there many people were coming from the road on the hillside behind him. And so now the, the scene changes back to Jerusalem, and David sees that his sons are coming back. And Jonadab, verse 35, said to the king, Look, the, the, the king's sons are coming, as your servant said, so it is. I'm sorry, that concludes our program for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Second Samuel. 
Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.